What am I to do? Welcome to Razor Branding Podcast with Jackie Russo. To learn more about how to improve your brand, visit brandrusso.com. Hi, it's Jackie Russo with Razor Branding Podcast, and today I am honored to welcome Gus with Social Entertainment and about 17 other businesses to the show. Gus is going to talk to us a little bit about the pandemic pivot that they went through, what it's like now getting everything reopened, and the what he's only, I've heard, described as the great privilege of becoming an American citizen. So we've got a lot to talk about today. Gus, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jackie. Thank you Thank so you much Gus. for having me. I'm so glad you're here. So, man, you are the quintessential American success story. Um, I, you know, usually we start talking about pandemic stuff, but I want to start at the beginning for you. So talk about immigrating here and what that's been like. Absolutely. Um, 1998, uh, I was uh, I'm originally from Brazil, Sao Paulo, Brazil. My whole family still resides uh, in Sao Paulo, uh, played tennis my whole life as a as a kid, and had the 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 luck to get offered a full scholarship, and uh, I played college tennis for Georgia Southwestern from 2000 to 2004. Uh, graduated from college, uh, moved to New York for a while, uh, bounced around, and then ended up in Lafayette with a full time job. Because <laughs> that's how that works. You come to Georgia, you move to New York, and you end up in Lafayette. Yeah, well, um, were you in, lost? In my, Do you need a map? No, in my first summer in college, we, uh, my roommates and I, we had a 1992 Oldsmobile station wagon with those wood panels. Sure. And we, we took a, a ride all the way to New York, and we worked in a summer camp called Future Stars. And there, I met a gentleman called Chad Abair, which at that time was a tennis pro at Reds, but he was my boss at this tennis camp in New York. And he's like, "Well, we like you guys. Instead of coming back to New York next summer." go to Lafayette, we're building this club called City Club. And, <laughs> and uh, so the following year, in my sophomore year in college, we, we drove to Lafayette, and then I kept coming every summer, and I built a clientele uh, uh, of you know, t- teaching tennis and got into some marketing stuff at the, at the club in River Ranch. And then from there, I was lucky that uh, Robert and Rodney brought me in full-time, and, and then I, you know, I stayed in the development for almost six years and then went on my own. Now, I play tennis at about a 2.5 level. So would it take about eight or nine minutes for you to beat me in straight sets? How long do you think? Uh, yeah. Maybe 10 minutes if I, if I stumble and slow the game down a yeah. little bit? Okay. All right. Yeah. Good to know. Yeah. I just want well, to prepare I, myself. I, usually what I say is, you know, uh, I used to play tennis 100 pizzas a goal. Right? <laughs> so I wouldn't say 10 minutes now. I'll say about maybe 20 now. So. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Okay. So you're living the tennis life. You're doing your thing. How do you go from that to the massive serial entrepreneur that you've become? Uh, well, you know, when I, when I came to Lafayette, I had the opportunity to create a, an incredible network uh, by teaching tennis, by running tennis tournaments and triathlons and, and anything that the development at that time needed it from the programming standpoint. Uh, they gave me the opportunity to get my hands on. And uh, I started just creating connections and realizing that one thing I knew was that I, I couldn't be on the tennis courts forever dealing with 100 degree, degree weather. I mean, I, I, I give so much respect to my friends that still do. Um, it was brutal, you know, uh, you know, 60 hours a week teaching tennis for many years. And uh, I knew there was something calling me when it came to uh, getting people together and putting businesses together, but I didn't know what direction. The food and beverage kind of happened where 
Robert Daigo pretty much said, look, we're, we're looking to put a smoothie shop in River Ranch. We heard about this guy, this place called Tropical Smoothie. Why don't you go train in Destin and we'll pay for it? And, and from there, that's how, how I got involved in the food and beverage industry. And I was already kind of involved in the hospitality event programming by doing some small things. And, and then eventually just kind of everything came together. And we, you know, my partner and I, BJ Christ, we just realized that, you know, we, we had a knack for putting, putting those things together and, and connecting the dots between programming, event planning, um, you know, food and beverage establishments and, and how that relates to the hospitality service. And that's what we've been doing for a little over 10 years now. And you have five tropical smoothies now? Correct. Yeah, we, we uh, you know, we unfortunately did not make on the, in, on the very first location uh, where initially I was brought in as a managing partner. Uh, tropical Smoothie was an unknown brand in Lafayette. We were probably in a bad location at the time in the square of River Ranch, but we knew there was something special about the brand. And today that brand is one of the fastest growing franchises in the country. And we're just, I'm just very lucky that after such a heartache of closing the first location, my business partner believed there so much that he brought me back into the concept. And today we have five locations, Karen Crow, New Iberia, and three in Lafayette. And we, we plan to grow this brand uh, tremendously. You know, we have a, an awesome team, uh, awesome managers, district managers, and uh, an awesome crew. And the product's great. So we, we look to continue to grow that. So, you know, I think a lot of people, if they have this first location and it fails, to them, they just live in that failure. But you all seem to take it and pivot and keep on going. And I think that's a testament to your stick to itness. I believe so. I think, uh, you know, um, I, we really enjoy looking at our weaknesses. You know, I think we do that pretty often, you know, um, and the pandemic only made us look at deeper into all the flaws in our structure and how we lead. And, and yeah, it's always been that way, you know, that little bit of the fake it until you make it kind of thing, you know, uh, keeping things going and pushing it because the hospitality industry is a brutal industry. The margins are so thin. Uh, the time that you have to put in, it's it's pretty demanding. So, you know, we knew what we were getting ourselves into it. So there was no reason to get upset with the first failure. It will be it will be idiotic for us to 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 get down knowing that you know we had so much more to look for it. So right, right. So we so, always had that, that that mentality, you know, and I think it, it has paid off to a certain way. So sure. So when the pandemic hit, you had grown beyond just your five tropical smoothies. Talk about the empire when the pandemic hit. What was it looking like at that time? Well, uh, we were three days away from uh, having a grand opening of our new social entertainment, you know, uh, umbrella office that pretty much uh, we were going to, uh, re- uh, you know, launch to the community what our, our hospitality group was really up to besides uh, this incredible um, set of events that we have been able to put on over the years anywhere from uh, sugar gyms and po' boy festivals, you know, downtown risings. We were excited to release the schedule that we worked so hard to get ready. Uh, also, we had all our businesses operating in, in full force. We we're getting ready for Festival International. And three days before the grand opening on the Art Wall Saturday, that's when the governor put in the first stay-home order. So uh, to be quite honest, I think it goes back to what you said. You know, there was no negativity, no fear. All it was is what what buttons can we keep pushing and what can, what's going to come out of these things? You know, and I think what happened was what 
what the stay home did to us initially told us that we could do nothing about our events. It was a complete standstill. Our staff from the event side pretty much, you know, went home, uh, took a little break, and they were like, let's just figure out what this all means to us. So we allow us to focus on the restaurants, how we're going to deal with the restaurants, what stays open, what stays closed. And then once I was able to take a little breather, we went back to the event side and we're like, okay, we have companies that have invested on us and they, you know, they, they have invested, you know, not just financial, but their time and their efforts on us. So if we cannot give them them events right now, what value can we give them and what can we do for the community? So literally a week within the pandemic, we start putting on social media fundraisers, um, identifying the people that has helped us the most over the years to put us where we are, local musicians, servers, bartenders, dishwashers, cooks, managers. And we're like, how can we help them? And, and it, originally we started that lost my uh, uh, gig fund and we right. did a lost my tips fund and we, we raised $100,000 combined. Wow. Uh, we helped over 150 local musicians, 200 plus service industry workers downtown. Um, each one of them got checks in the mail, uh, either through ACA in a partnership with the musicians or through United Way in a partnership with the with the service industry workers. And uh, and we just kept reinventing ourselves, showing value to our partners and never looking back. You know, um, Gus, I just I want to touch on that real quick, just to recap what you said, because, you know. You still sound Brazilian when you talk. Yeah. So y'all raised a hundred over a hundred thousand dollars. Close to a hundred thousand. Yeah, to, to hand, six thousand something. I'll I'll give you the roundup. A hundred thousand right. dollars to hand out in grants to the musicians and the bartenders and the servers who lost their jobs because of the pandemic. That's right. amazing. It was amazing, but it was a partnership with not just us, but United Way, the current downtown Lafayette. All the companies that over the years, Lafayette Roofing, Tony Sacheries, Service, uh, Chevrolet, I mean, all the companies that have for the last 10 years trusted us in the events that we do. And when they found themselves paying their membership dues with us and realizing that we had no events to put on, we're like, look, guys, uh, we have a company to run. We have payroll. We have a staff that we want to keep employed. We're going to reinvent ourselves in the meantime. And when the time comes... We're going to restructure our schedule and hopefully still give you great value in the fall, but we cannot promise you anything. But what we can promise you right now, we're going to make you proud. And we did. And, and it's amazing. And it's so amazing that we're going to be launching our third fundraiser next Friday, which is a surprise, Jackie. We can't really, we can't really tell you, but this one, is okay. be, this one is going to really touch everyone's heart. Uh, we have a crisis in our community or we have many crises uh, around the country in our community regarding so many issues, but this one is going to really touch the downtown area, and this one is going to touch everyone. So I'm so excited to launch this one next week. We're going to be going for $50,000 in funds, which is not going to do a dent on the problem, but it's a symbolism that we need to uh, come together and get this right. But the third one, it's kind of the sweet one. You know, This one is going to be something that we all have a responsibility to step up and help. Gus, I am constantly amazed in the years that I've known you that someone who not just was born outside of Lafayette, but born outside of our country has come in and been able to ingratiate himself into the community, be a part of our community, open restaurants, open um, bars, hire people, 
build out this entire business empire that you have all while still pursuing your citizenship. Talk to us right. about that process of becoming a U.S. citizen. Uh, it was tough. Uh, it was grueling. Uh, you know, uh, I've been in the United States longer than I was in Brazil, you know. So um, a, lot of my, a lot of times my parents say I'm more American than Brazilian now. But I, I do have a dual citizenship. Um, I acquire my citizenship through uh, my marriage status. As of uh, seven years ago, we've been to, me and Catherine been together for 10 years, so I'll say six years. But I think I was able to get my, my citizenship about five years ago. And I'll be honest, Jackie, it, it's, we have a, a flawed immigration system. Unfortunately, because of politics and because of the media, um, there is a misunderstanding of what the immigration system, the, 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 the reason why it's broken is it's not because of the border, it's because of the system itself is broken for people from all over the world, not just specifically Mexico or the near countries, but people from all over the world at some point after acquiring cer certain visas, they hit a wall where there's no more visas to get. And people that have earned the right to stay here, uh, they have worked hard, they have paid taxes, and they have uh, done everything by the books. There, there are a certain point that either you have a lot of money to be able to invest on certain visas, which wasn't my case, uh, or you get married. And I was lucky that I was in a great relationship and it worked out for me, but it, it's not the case for many people. And I, I'll tell you something that I really don't tell many people, but there was a point in my, in my professional career as an adult that I wasn't illegal, but I was out of status. Right. Uh, which means there was a point that my, my visa, until I was waiting for a new visa, uh, I could not leave the country, otherwise I would not be able to come back. And that was probably one of the most stressful two years of my life because I couldn't tell people. Um, right. I had employees working for me, thinking, not having a clue of my situation. I had a family at home that anything could happen at any time. And I, had to, I, would, have to, I would have to make the decision if I had to go back or not. So those two years were pretty eye-opening. And I know several friends of mine that have gone through the same situation. So the immigration system is more than just, you know, build a wall or not build a wall or... Mexico, or it's about just in general, we have a flawed system that just needs to be revamped for the good of America, not just for the good of right. people coming. Uh, it just has to be more fair. That way we Americans get more out of it. Right. No, you're absolutely right. Years and years ago, when the kids were little, uh, we had a babysitter that we had gotten through church and she was amazing and awesome. She's Canadian. And uh, she went on a mission trip with the church uh, and could not come back into our country uh, because she was out of status and didn't realize. And so she got deported to Canada. She was already married to an American citizen, had been working for us, filed taxes, did everything legal and got deported. Yep. And left her husband, they had been married one month here, and they were separated for a year until she could go through all the process to get back. So there's no doubt the system needs improvement for sure. Correct. Correct. For it's a complete, sure. A complete restructure of the system for the benefit of the country, meaning more, you know, to be able to get more taxes, to be able to be able to pull more talent, to be able to get the right people here, but also get the people there in need to come here. So there is room for everyone. It's just that the system, unfortunately is just not structured correctly, or maybe it's out of date. Right, right. As we move into phase two today, talk to me about your restaurants and businesses and how y'all are going to now, you know, go from shelter at home to phase one to now phase two. What's that look like? 
Well, we took an approach of looking at each business differently, right? We, uh-huh. we, uh, we basically broke it down uh, our platform and we recognized what we need to focus first and what we needed to prioritize first. So first of all, the event company, like I told you in the very beginning, was something that we could put it aside, work on some other small projects and wait to see how things were gonna evolve. Now that we're getting a little more confidence from the government and how things are reopening, we are starting to get a little more confident in how we're going to start doing some events. Um, so we're going to start reaching back out to, to our partners and saying with a very you know, careful approach, this is what we plan on doing in the fall. Right. So that was how we approached the event company. As for the restaurants, Tropical Smoothie, we follow corporate guidelines from the very beginning. So to be quite honest, we closed our dining areas prior to the governor made an announcement because the corporate made us shut down the dining areas and only keep the drive-throughs open in the very beginning. Um, we're very lucky and very proud of how well Tropical Smoothies have been doing for the simple fact of the drive-throughs, the, how accessible price-wise our product is, how great our product is based on value and price. And so we, we are fortunate that we, we've been doing very well and we're growing. The entire QSR industry has been almost bulletproof through pandemics and right. through uh, not just pandemics, but through uh, economic hardship. So even during the oil spill and even during the um, economic fallout that we experienced, what we are learning about QSRs, which is kind of the fast food and steroids concepts, uh, they're, they're just bulletproof to a certain extent. And we're just proud and lucky to be in this position and we hope to continue to grow. As for our downtown businesses, there were two different stories. Central Pizza, a more established business, we immediately shut down the dining area and we created a curbside opportunity with the partnership of downtown. And as you know, Anita and her team, how lucky we are to have them, especially in a time like this, to be able to, I mean, when I tell you that they understood the urgency behind the scenes to send the right message to the community, and this was like days into the pandemic, we already had signage out and we already had communication going out. So, you know, we've been here for a long time. It hasn't quite been the same. It hasn't been the case, you know, based on our experiences. And so Central, luckily, because of the, the great foundation we have created over the years, and because it's pizza, let's be honest. Sure. Uh, our window remains successful and the, the drop in sales wasn't so significant. Now that we're reopening, we made a point to wait until June 1st to reopen. We didn't reopen right away. We kind of have a small spot. We didn't feel good. We, the approach with our staff was to take care of our team first. I'm a big Danny Meyer fan uh, from Shake Shack. Oh, yeah. So we, uh, you know, me and my partners, we follow a lot of his kind of philosophy and team first um, and everything comes with it. And we felt that we need to protect our team because they were there with us every step of the way. Without them, Central would not be open. So we basically recognized that Central could survive with a window uh, throughout this process. And now we're starting to, you know, today, as a matter of fact, we are allowed 50%, but we're still under that, you know, right. today was our first lunch. Tula, also a great opportunity. Um, this July marks one year of Tula. And uh, in all honesty, we made some conceptual mistakes in how we build that business, you know, uh, from 
just some small uh, mistakes that plays a big role. I mean, you know this, you build brands, you build businesses, and we, who has an opportunity to start over again, right? So we are taking that opportunity all the way. We, we recognize that there are some flaws in our concept, and we are taking our time to be able to fix those flaws and reopen late summer. Um, and, and finally, Dick's Daiquiris, you know, that has been one of our very first businesses. We call the guinea pig businesses. You know, the, the Dick's and the Jefferson Street Pub, those were businesses that BJ and I bought when we were just starting in this industry. We had no business in guy. I mean, you guys knew you and Michelle were here. I was, uh, I was just getting off the tennis court and owning Jefferson Street Pub. And I look back today and I go, what was I thinking having a lease like that? And taking on such a big business, and I learned so much. We struggled so much, but we pretended everything was always great. But it was never uh, anything that really brought us financial reward. But man, we learned so much on those on the back of those businesses by doing the right thing, learning the industry standards. And Jefferson Street Pub, we sold it a year before, a year and a half before the pandemic. And Dicks, uh, we we decided to close the doors right when the pandemic happened because we just felt there was time and now we have that property um, uh, for lease and we hope to have a, a super cool concept, which I also cannot share with you, but my understanding is that we're going to have something really cool. It's not ours, but the way it looks, we're, there's going to be a really cool concept coming to that location on Cali Saloon. So like I said, we had to take every single business in a different way and approach in a different way. Um, there's a lot of heartache going out there, but it also there's a lot of opportunity, you know. Right. But Gus, I love the way you approach it because, you know, not everything's perfect. There are some missteps along the way. You learn and you keep moving forward. And I think your career is a testament to that model of it, nobody's handing it to me. I'm figuring it out as I go. I'm learning and I'm, I'm moving on. Correct. Yeah. I think and, also, awesome. and, also, and also having great partners. Sure. And with many different uh, skill sets, um, you know, starting with BJ, a guy that has a complete set of skill sets that I have, John Peterson, Colin Cormier, Mike Delcom, you know, all my partners, we all complement each other in so many ways. So uh, we're lucky because of that, you know, so um, and then the staff, the managers, you know, we are not we're not we're not shy to call each other out and, and, and tell each other how we feel and what we think is right and wrong. So that, you know, it's that give and take. So. But that's another thing that I see in you that, you know, any leadership or entrepreneurial book you're going to read is going to talk about surrounding yourself with the right people, understanding when you've made a mistake and what can you learn from it, uh, being in the team instead of leading from above. And you're living all of those examples every day. And your success is a testament to that. Most of the times. Most well, of the time. none of us are perfect. Um, I, I do want to say that um, the Russo girls have single handedly kept the oil center um, Tropical Smoothie Cafe and Business during the pandemic. So you're I'm welcome. Sure. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. yes. And that was one of the, that's one of the busiest locations, but it did take the hardest hit because of the lack of drive through. Right. Right. Oh, yeah. no, but we've sacrificed because, <laughs> but y'all did a great job setting up there. You know, you had your parking spot, you had your text information. It was very easy for people to order. Um, awesome. our, our pediatrician's right there. And so uh, anytime we had to go to the doctor, that's the reward. Uh, so I think sometimes they fake a... <laughs> <laughs> just to be able to get a smoothie, I, I fall for it every time. Oh man! No, thank you so much. That's great feedback. Was uh, that's what we really hope 
that we could accomplish. Oh, it was seamless. We would place an order at the pediatrician's parking lot, and by the time we drive across the street and park in front of your place, which is about 150 feet, it's ready and at the door. So it's perfect every time. Thank you. So when you think about this, you know, coming out of the pandemic and you're looking at the the tweaks you're going to make to Tula, you're looking at gearing Central back up, you're looking at social being able to bring events back online, what else is next? I mean, do you have your eye on another concept, another location? Are you just going to eventually own all of downtown? What's the plan? Definitely not. Uh, <laughs> def- definitely not. But uh, I think, uh, first of all, when it pertains to the businesses that are existing businesses, uh, one of the things that we're really uh, communicating to our partners and to uh, our employees is let's expect our sales to not get back to where they were at the peak and let's recognize that the only way that we make those businesses profitable is by watching our margins and, and running our businesses through the industry standards that we believe we should be running. with. So I think more than ever for the restaurant industry, controlling cost of goods and controlling labor costs is going to be more important than ever because you right. can't, you know, you're going to work out with your landlords and your, your fixed costs. You're going to get some you're going to get some breaks here and there, and you're going to get your grants from the government, but all those things will go away at some point. Sure. And at the end of the day, you may find yourself not being as relevant as you once were and you're not having the same volume that you once had, but there's still an, but, but that still could be decent sales. And how do you profit from those sales and how do you make your business be, you know, be, be, be out there and be, you know, have value. So to us right now is let's not worry about being upset if we don't get back to where central used to be when it comes to the tons of people coming and all this volume. Let's make sure that we're running more efficiently than we have before. And and if we get back to that volume, great. But if we don't, at least we're focusing on controlling cost, controlling our margins. So that's a big thing. As far as development, yes, we are obviously, uh, you know, uh, very, very, you know, with Dick's closing and being kind of this 11-year, um, you know, a, a learning experience, we did really well with Dick's for many years. The opportunity of purchasing the property, after all, that was a huge win for us, uh, knowing that, you know, we pay a significant lease over the years and, and the landlord recognizing that we earned it and it was a good time for him to sell. It was a good time for us to buy. And now us giving the opportunity for somebody to be our tenant that's it feels good. It feels that it's, you know, so uh, on the tropical smoothie side, continue to look for locations across uh, not just the Acadiana region, but the entire state. Um, and, you know, and, and, and thinking about how we're going to restructure the event company in the fall. You know, we we have an amazing downtown rising with cohort kids that was to be happening seven days ago that got rescheduled to November 19th. I mean, we're bringing, you know, national acts to downtown Lafayette on a Thursday night before Thanksgiving. So I'm going to be putting a lot of my focus once we get our restaurants back up in making sure that our event company stays relevant. Because, you know, one thing that I know we worked so hard, me and Micah and Britland over the years in making this company, uh, you know, a boutique event company uh, become such a big role in the in the lifestyle of so many people in Acadiana where we hear from people going, you know, I'm going to wino in Sugar Mill for my birthday this year. I, you know, they're looking at our schedule for the year of all the cross we do downtown and the festivals, and they're scheduling their lifestyle around our events. 
it feels so good. We don't want to lose that. But it's going to be very hard. And another thing, Jackie, that we're having to pay a lot of attention is that we don't want to come back with our event company in full force when so many nonprofits that depends on events are also going to need to be successful. So we don't want to flood the market. So what, what's going to be very tough for us is that we are a for-profit event company that works with nonprofits and gives back to the community, but we are for-profit. And uh, we need to be very careful in not overcrowding the market and creating a negative Im image of what we're doing because we didn't give nonprofits the time they need to run that one fundraiser they need in order to stay in, in business. So it's a very tough situation. Uh, we are currently reworking our schedule and working with the nonprofits. You know, maybe we cannot do Uncle Sam's Jam 4th of July, but maybe there's an opportunity that can be a downtown alive Uncle Sam's Jam partnership. Who knows, right? right. So we're going to have to be creative because the last thing we want is to be known as a company that is hurting nonprofits in Lafayette, which they depend on event revenue. Um, so we need to be very careful. But, and I think you make a valid point, and it's good the way that you think about the entire ecosystem that you live in. Um, I, I want to recognize a few people who are watching right now, Dana Higginbotham, so many surprises to look forward to. I think you're holding a lot back, Gus. We can't wait till you can tell us all. Uh, Michelle Ezel wants to know if you're in the market to buy three sushi restaurants and bars. She has some prime downtown locations, Lafayette, Baton Rouge, New Orleans. So right now, wow. live on the air, I mean, make wow. a deal. She sounds like she's ready to play. If Michelle coaches me for one year and I can shadow her and learn all her skills, I may consider it. But she's oh. got to give me that one year. I'll negotiate 18 months for you. I can make it happen. We can sign this deal today, Gus. Yeah, there's a lot I want to learn from her and her team because they do some they do some serious business. They do a lot of things really well. And I love y'all as neighbors because I think that's Absolutely. a good working relationship y'all have. John know. Williams. John Williams loves oh, this boy. guy. He loves you. Yeah. I love him. Uh, and Andre Higginbotham says that the peanut butter smoothie at Tropical Smoothie Cafe is love. Andre, my boy. Um, Jessica Hauervast loves the central pizza concept and vibe. If you could create any restaurant concept you wanted without cost being a factor, what would that look like? Oof, we have so many concepts. You know, I, I'll tell you, uh, I, I, have a, I, I have a dream to put a really cool concept in the oil center. You know, I, I, I've always wanted to, uh, but... Time is not right for us right now. Uh, as far as a concept goes, uh, you know, I really don't have one in specific. I have locations, you know, obviously downtown. I think still uh, there is a lot of uh, opportunities, not really on the food and beverage. I think we I think at some point here at the end of this year, I'm hoping that, you know, look, the, the market is going to dictate itself. But if, if, I, if I had to choose, and I think Michelle may even agree with me, I think after all these amazing restaurants about to open, hopefully we can take a breather, we can settle, we can stable. Uh, but downtown, you know, on the retail side, I'm starting to look at a lot of that. We Good. we just closed the lease uh, on the property next to the beer garden. Uh, uh, we have Luna coming to that property that we we are involved, but also uh, uh, Rene doing really good with Morav. But right next to Morav, there's a really cool boutique coming downtown that we just signed a lease. Congrats. I don't think I can be sharing her concept, but it's an amazing concept. And she's a super bright uh, uh, lady. And I, I can't wait for her to open her door. So I think we need to focus on retail. I think we need to uh, focus on services. 
I can't wait to see a nail salon downtown. Yes. Uh, I think that will be huge. Um, you know, so there's a lot of little things that uh, that I, I look for. The oil center, obviously, the connectivity between the oil center, the UL, and downtown and Freetown. Um, you know, I want to see how that plays out in the near future. And uh, hopefully people start walking or maybe we can make it more walkable because when you look from the top, there should be no reason why we're not more connected. You right. know? So uh, that's kind of what I would like to see happening. And then obviously growing tropical smoothies statewide. You know, that's something that we want to do. Central pizza is something that comes up a lot. Uh, we want to be very careful. That's one of the things that, you know, we we. Uh, Central Pizza was such a specific concept for downtown. Uh, we, we felt that Tsunami was holding down the fort and Pamplona for so many years and so many other restaurants came, but they were really the ones like, look, this is what it takes to stay here and deal with all this at times messy times. And we, we felt that we wanted to come and help. So it's very hard for us to say, let's just put another center somewhere because it was such a specific design concept. So we're very protective of that. And we, you know, we don't know what the future holds for Central, but, uh, but, you know, we think about all those things all the time. Right, right. Nancy DeVille's watching. She says, thank you for all you do for our community, Gus. Thank you, Nancy. You are so cool, girl. You, she, <laughs> she's, she's amazing. She's awesome. Now, I know you look at the local businesses around you, Michelle and the others that have inspired you, and I know you pay attention to what Shake Shack's doing on a national level. What other businesses have you seen either during uh, the pivots of the pandemic times or before that you watch them and you say, I like the way they think I'm going to study from them? Who are your inspirations? Well, well I'll tell you, no, uh, and I don't want to just keep saying that, but, you know, obviously Michelle and I spoke a few times, uh, obviously Pops, because my business partner owns Pops. I, I believe you just reopened today, the dining area. I, lo I look up to a lot of my partners that actually has businesses that I'm not part of it and how we feed off of each other. Uh, on a national level, obviously looking at, very curious to see how fine dining is going to do. Um, obviously looking at QSR, um, realizing how some QSRs are struggling, but some are thriving. Um, you know, the drive-through phenomenon, you know, I wonder how, uh, how much that's really going to last, you know, or if it's going to, if it's here to stay. But I don't really have a specific name. You know, uh, we, you know, we, I communicate with so many restaurateurs um, in Lafayette. And uh, so far, I've been pretty proud of everybody and how we've, we've we stuck around and we stuck together and, uh, and how we plan on reopening. And I think for the most part, uh, everybody has done a great job. Right. Your new neighbor, Bradley Cruz, who just opened Handy Stop yeah. Market and Cafe, says more retail downtown would be great. And I, I agree completely. Yeah. The more y'all can bring, the better it's going to be for everybody. The number one thing we need downtown right now is funding. Uh, second thing we need is more infrastructure. Uh, I'm, I'm proud to be on the DDA board. And uh, we hire Jeff Daly to work over the last year and a half. And, you know, there has always been this talk of how much money we generate through taxes in downtown and how that money goes back to the city and how little comes back to us. But it was never really factually proved until yesterday. And, really? I, believe, and I believe that report is going to, I don't know, I don't know if it will be, but I believe everything is public. So uh, Jeff has done an amazing research in understanding how money flows uh, you know, on the government and, and how it pertains to funding. 
And what we realized, what we already knew, we get very little back to downtown. And I'm, I'm not saying money that the city has or the parish has. I'm saying money that we generate that goes back and how that money comes back for our for us to be able to reinvest. So funding is a number one issue. If we want to be a thriving downtown uh, where mid-sized cities, they are succeeding in, in the nation, they have thriving downtowns. So we better continue to thrive because right. it's not just good for central pizza or for tsunami. It's good for anybody that lives in the parish if downtown is thriving. And second of all, infrastructure. You know, that's going to be a point where, you know, one of the biggest fears that we have on the DDA board is that all this excitement, all these small wins of new businesses coming and the private investments that we are making, if, we don't, if it doesn't get capitalized with more um, uh, sewage capacity, if it doesn't get capitalized with more power grids or whatever it takes or less uh, flooding issues, the big retails, they're kind of knocking on the door. There are people right there. They're the big developers knocking on the door, but they cannot come in because there's not enough infrastructure for them to make that investment. And they cannot pay for those investments because it becomes cost prohibitive for their big business plan. So, you know, the only way that we're long term going to succeed is we need more funding. And I know the city and the parish is broke. We're not asking for money that is not ours. We're just asking to get a little more back from what we produce. And second of all, we need to fix and improve our infrastructure. Otherwise, uh, we're going to look at ourselves and we're going to go, you know, great. We got Luna, we got Vestal, we got Handy Stop, we got, but the big movers and shakers, the, the big box stores or the big mixed use developments, they won't come. Right. And the residential component won't really happen, even though we're having some, the Vermilion Lofts and Buchanan Heights, but I'm talking about continue and, and, and constant growth, funding infrastructure. That's the only way. Right. No, I think it makes perfect sense. Um, what do you do to encourage professional development with yourself and your team? We meet a lot. Uh, I think there is a joke uh, among one of my partners that Gus loves meetings. Um, <laughs> I, I love meetings and I, I think sometimes I have to be careful not to be the only one talking in the meeting. Uh, I think that's been one of my main things that I really, you know, make sure that I'm not hearing myself. Once I start hearing myself, something's not going right in that meeting. Um, one thing that I really believe, which is a very um, um, elementary approach, is that I like when people are taking notes in meetings. Uh, I really believe that if I'm, in, if, if I'm in a meeting where we're trying to make change or we're trying to make changes or improvements or, or we're trying to create a new concept, I just find it very hard, uh, unless it's a brainstorming meeting or something that if people are not engaged, taking notes, going home, thinking about it, following up, being accountable, um, might as well not have a meeting. Uh, so I've, I've seen that in boards that I've participated over the years where big ideas come. And when I see that big idea coming from somebody that is promising to tell us that something's going to happen, but then they're not writing it down, I just don't see that happening. Right. Uh, and it may sound cliche or may sound silly, but I really believe that. I believe that, you know, you know, little wins, little bitty wins. And it was one of the things that I kind of preached in the very beginning when I came here and I bugged the hell out of you guys, you know, when we started those organizations. And, you know, and a lot of times it was a bunch of dream. And I was just like, I think there is a way that we can get 
through all this craziness here, but it was little bitty wins and little bitty projects just kind of piling up on top of each other. And hopefully we can create something bigger. So I hope I answered your question. That's, that's you did. You know, you, you've uh, done well. a great job of answering it. You know, Michael is a big hospitality guy. Uh, he used to be a corporate trainer and, and service industry is his one passion. Uh, I think he would dump me and this whole Asian thing in a minute if he could go run an Italian restaurant somewhere. So I have to keep him and Ruffin apart as much as possible. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. at any minute, he's going to take a job with Ruffin and I'll lose him forever. Um, but, you know, that's one of his frustrations is if a server is going to show up at the table and take your order and not write it down. They better show up with everything right. You know? Yeah, absolutely. That's a bold statement to absolutely. say, I got it all right here. Okay. Absolutely. No, I think that applies in the same way to any meetings, to any levels, to any organization, you know, and I think uh, uh, it's about accountability. It's about, you know, uh, following through with uh, what you say you're going to do. And uh, I, I believe that's very important. No, it really is. Absolutely. What advice would you give to the younger you? Patience, um, <laughs> a little more patience, uh, um, uh, listen more, uh, definitely. Um, I think my personality is, uh, you know, it, it comes in handy in my industry that I'm able to evolve uh, quickly, but at times, you know, listening, um, you know, and, and I think Catherine, my wife, has been a, has played a major, you know, we're partners, you know, we're Besides being husband and wife and we love each other, we are business partners. We understood what we're getting into here. She understood. Let me rephrase it. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we, we understood that we we're going to do this together. And, and, and a lot of those big business decisions that I've made was going home. And, you know, did you hear what the offer really is? Did you pay attention before you get excited? And to me, it has been about listening. And I still do a poor job on that. You know, I get pretty excited sometimes. And... Um, you know, the guzz buzz goes crazy, and, and sometimes I got to kind of pull back a little bit. But, you know, uh, with two kids at home now and realizing that I won't be able to do everything, I have to, I want to spend time, and I, and I, and I want to make sure that, you know, uh, there is growth across the board, not just in business. So Right. What gives you hope? Or community. I mean, you know, when, when people ask me how, you know, um, how you became so community oriented. I was like Lafayette. Uh, you know, I grew up in Brazil uh, in a city of 11 million people. Uh, people are cynical about government. I mean, obviously Brazil is a, for lack of a better word, a banana republic. I mean, things just don't work there. So, you know, I never really had this, you know, I was raised in an awesome family that gave me great values, but it was never really about, you know, community and going vote and thinking about and holding people accountable and speaking out and, and helping the, you know, each other. It was about like, let's survive in this chaos, you know, and let's take care of each other, the internal group, you know. Then I moved to Georgia, college, and when you're in college, you're either drinking beer, playing tennis, or, you know, trying to get some good grades, you know, so it wasn't really, a, a, you know, it wasn't really something that I really paid attention to it until I came to Lafayette and more, more importantly, until when I left River Ranch as a full-time job, moved to the same streets and started getting myself involved with downtown, I started realizing that, you know, I could bring something to the table and trying to bring some people together and, and try to tie some knots and learn from you guys that have been here way before me and what struggles y'all went through and really bugging y'all and, 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 and trying to get my, you know, trying to put myself in front of, you know, people that have done so much like y'all. And um, 
So, you know, my what gives me hope is our community. You know, despite uh, some national, regional issues and COVID-19 and obviously, uh, you know, what we're going through right now in our country in general, uh, our community gives me hope because people are so electrified. I mean, people want to do something here all the time, especially my group of friends. I mean, we're always going out to have a drink or a bite to eat, and we always come up with something that we can do that not only benefits us, but it benefits people around us, you know, and, and I'm pretty adamant about this, you know, um, and I think to a certain extent, you know, you, you might believe the same is that I, I am a business owner first and foremost. And uh, yes, there is a lot that we benefit from the things we do, um, you know, from the initiatives we create, from the partnerships that we create. Uh, and it feels good. You know, it's obviously that that personal feeling feels good. But what gives me hope here is, is our community. Uh, Americans have something about them that they always come together at the end. There's always compromise. Hard to believe there will be some compromise in this day and age. But there's always been something that attracted me about America was that, man, they always find a way to make things work. Um, and uh, that's why I like. I like I like solutions. And uh, I think our community is what gives me hope. That's a great answer. What's your guilty pleasure? Oh, man. I, I mean, you said earlier there's beer, tennis, and then grades in college. So has that yeah. order of priorities changed? What, I mean, got, what now? Yeah, well, beer was definitely played a big role for many years. You know, being in a bar with 35 beers on, on tap uh, was definitely uh, at times, uh, you know, uh, interesting. But, you know, with two sure. kids at home, we don't have – there's no much option, you know, uh, uh, to really be uh, indulging on too much beer nowadays. But but definitely, uh, my it's really hanging out with my my friends. You know, I'm I'm so fortunate to have amazing friends in this town, uh, such a an amazing diverse group of people. And um, I wouldn't say that's a guilty pleasure. That's an amazing pleasure, you know. Uh, but that's really what I enjoy the most. Is just getting. I can't wait. Today I went to lunch at Central for the first time with two of my friends. And uh, we sat at the bar and we were like, man, that feels good. You know, you, for a while, we don't even think that matters, but it did matter. You know, we, right. we got to spend time for 30 minutes before this and it was awesome. So I think it's a great testament to you and your friends. Y'all didn't grow up in the same town. Y'all didn't grow up going to school together. You know, I think a lot of times people think of Lafayette as very insular. Who would you go to high school with? Who would you go to college with? What uh, Greek organization were you in? You didn't have any of that here. You showed up fully grown adult person and have not just found your place in the community. You have created places in the community. Uh, and I think that's a great testament to you and to your downtown dude gang. I think that I'll tell you this, I'll even go further. I think when I came, I was, you know, when I came to Lafayette first, it was in 2001. So I was a kid, you know, still 21, 22. So developing those relationships in so many different circles of friends, all anyway from River Ranch to Youngsville to different places that I lived, even coming, even before coming to downtown, I don't think it's just a testament of me being able to have the group of friends. It's the people of Lafayette. I have so many friends that I'll give an example, Memorial Day, you know, I have a friend that is a little older than me, he's on the early 50s, and he has a Memorial Day trip, camping trip they've been doing for 28 years. And it's all their high school friends from, you know, uh, all those little towns around Lafayette. And I'm part of the group. So a lot of that is people loving to bring people into their groups, which doesn't happen in other cities, in other countries where people can be pretty reserved. So I, am, I happen to be friends with a lot of groups of people that 
they come from either, you know, uh, private school settings or, you know, different towns. So it's once again, the community here, people are so welcome, you know, right. which reminds me a lot of Brazil. You know, that's how we are back home, you know. So my next question was going to be about you adapting to American football, you know, the real football, not whatever that football stuff is that you watch, right? Yeah. As Jessica is posting a question that says, what I know my husband, Chris Harvass is going to want to know, where will the new World Cup 2022 watch party headquarters be? Well, I hope, uh, well, that's a tough question. I um, know. Uh, we we were proud to make the JSP that headquarters. You know, it was it was one of the most uh, exciting things. And I have actually a really funny story. The year that I got my uh, my green card, before I got my citizenship, I drove with my wife from New Orleans with my green card. Like now, at least I'm you know I feel I felt safe that I could come and go. That was the day that we lost to Germany seven one. So ouch, that was awful. Uh, and uh, but I think there is, a, a, you know, soccer is so relevant here in, in, in Acadiana from kids to adults. Um, I believe there are going to be, uh, there will be some establishments that, that, that will capitalize on that. Hopefully Jefferson Street Pub still brings soccer back. But uh, I believe that once, uh, you know, things kind of come back open, um, hopefully JSP will continue to have that tradition. I see now all of a sudden social having, you know, TV is lining all the parks. So you could go to Festival International and watch it on a big screen or Parks on Sea and watch it on a big screen. I'm sure yeah, you'll yeah. find a way to make it a whole downtown wide <laughs> right. event. That would be great. What do you say to yourself when you're in doubt? Keep pushing. Uh, you know, per, I'm, I'm a pretty persistent guy, uh, at times annoying. You know, I, I, I stay on it. Um, I wouldn't say that I, I don't give up. All I'm saying is that I uh, evolving and persisting and pushing. Um, you know, um, there were one specific business uh, over the last year that at times we felt that we we're getting knocked down and came back up and knocked down anywhere from partnership to, uh, you know, to sales, to growth, to lack of growth, to, you know, any issues in the map. And I, I, I was, you know, one thing that I tell my partners a lot of times is that, it's very easy to be proud of the businesses like Central that with five amazing partners and an amazing team in the right time with a little bit of luck to say, I'm so proud of this. But looking back at Jefferson Street Pub, 10 years of grueling and learning how to, we never got into the business of having a college bar, but having to do it just so we can pay the bills and trying to recreate ourselves and and struggle and going to bed not knowing if we're going to make rent the next week and being able to, uh, you know, uh, uh, sell the business and give other people opportunities. So a lot of times uh, uh, being persistent, not giving up, I think that has been a lot of uh, the way I look at things, you know, just, just keep pushing, you know. Right. What historical event would you like to have witnessed and attended live being there? Wow. Um, there are a few, uh, probably back home, um, you know, there has been a lot of things I lost, I missed from being gone. Um, you know, uh, a lot of my cousins, kids, a lot of my, well, maybe not historical, but uh, for okay. me, historical, uh, being gone and getting uh, a little bit of like almost immune to the feeling of missing people and uh, sometimes you just get you just forget that you know it's been so long it's just missing my high school reunions my my 
the multiple high school reunions we've had so far and all my, uh, my sister's accomplishments in her career, my parents' retirement, uh, all those things. I miss them all. Sure. And uh, that's very hard. Uh, that's something that I wish I didn't miss. Uh, but uh, that, that's pretty much what I think all the time, you know, the things that I miss the most. Nothing historically really comes to mind. All right. This is our lightning round. Last oh, card. Uh, Here we go. Sure with that. Oh, what's, your, what's your favorite place on earth? My home. Yeah. Uh, what's the movie you can't turn off? Whew. I watch so many movies. Uh, I mean, Indiana Jones is what I'm really getting my kids to watch. Uh, my wife tells me to wait a little longer, but you know, there's something about Superman and Indiana Jones now having two boys at home. And I don't know, I remember going to movie theaters in Brazil and having and being sold out and having to sit on the floor in the very front and watching uh, Indiana Jones and thinking it was the coolest thing ever. It is the coolest thing ever. Yeah, I remember yeah. watching that for the first time. What's the TV show that you binge watch the most? Oof, we, 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 me and my wife, we enjoy that a lot. I mean, a lot of shows. Uh, oh my goodness. I mean, there's so many, Jackie. Um, what have I watched lately that has been pretty, uh, uh, we watch so many shows. Nothing comes to mind. I'm sorry. That's okay. That's all right. Um, I like knowing that you have all this time to watch pop culture and still run 19 successful businesses. So that gives uh, me we, hope. We, you know, there is one thing I'll tell you, we, we, uh, our in-laws are in town for the first time in three months. I'm so happy they came down and, uh, we are be going, we're going to be going out, uh, for a couple of nights. Uh, we're going to uh, little river bluffs. I think it's our first time down in, uh, by Mendeville and we're just going to watch Netflix. That's the, that's what my wife and I will be doing this weekend. So, right. Okay, good. That's we'll, a good thing. we'll answer that question after that. So, okay. Favorite book. Well, Danny, uh, setting the table. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's that a great book one. Right there, it's simple. It's straight to the point. I've never been a huge reader. I've become a big reader because Catherine. Um, I mean, the amount of books that she reads with the boys every night—it's unbelievable—and uh, and really kind of got me back on it. But I've never been a good student, much less a good reader. But setting the table, uh, John Peterson. Uh, so you got to read this. Uh, and since then, we use that a lot in our businesses. Yeah, no, it's a great, and not just for a restaurant owner, anybody oh. that deals with customer service. Hospitality, yes. Uh, absolutely. I mean, that's right up there with something by Disney or Hilton. Um, you know, they really have set the tone, I think. So that's a good one. Yeah, a, a guy that was able to have six very successful white linen table restaurants and then create an amazing quick service concept like Shake Shack, it's pretty amazing because there's such polar opposite in the industry. So for him to be able to do that and kind of create almost like a philosophy around it, that's what makes it very interesting. Right. No, that's impressive. Favorite podcast. Do you listen to any podcasts? Uh, not very much. I'm, okay. uh, I'm, I'm technology challenged. Um, uh, I'm not a handy guy. There's a lot of jokes around the company where, uh, you know, just getting this headphone, I had to ask the girls, do you have a headphone guy? You know, so I'm, I'm just, uh, you know, apps on my phone. Uh, I still have a very small little iPhone that everybody says, how do you do with that? And I don't know, I don't know for good or bad, I'm, I'm, I guess I wouldn't say old school, but I'm, I'm not very technology savvy. So That's right. The next time we're hanging out together, I'll subscribe you to a few and you'll be Please. all set. Favorite car? Wow. Um, in my immature years, I, I, I went, you know, when I, when, I, when I first graduated from college, um, I remember my dad, um, wow, I've had so many cars, I made so many mistakes. <laughs> um, 
you know, in America, you can lease and you can, you know, finance and you, and you think that you can afford it. And I remember all those mistakes, but uh, my favorite car was my Camry, you know, oh. which I kept for, uh, I paid it off, which was the only car ever that I paid it off. And uh, I was proud of it because I felt like I was just changing cars. And uh, until I realized that that meant nothing for me. And uh, so ca that Camry really kind of stuck with me and uh, I don't have it anymore, but that was my baby right there. It's funny. We've done about 18 of these now and almost every person has talked about their first car being their favorite, not the car they drive today. So my you're in good company. Fiat Uno. Ooh. Uno, yeah. Fancy. That, Fancy. Was, uh, that was my uncle's car. So that was a really cool car. Nice. What's your pettiest pet peeve? Whew. Oh, man. I have a few, I think. I, I, I'm gonna <laughs> Should have I to ask Catherine? Yes. <laughs> she will know that really well. Oh, I am sure. Johnny Blanchard had to ask his wife, so don't worry. <laughs> Not everybody knows. I'll get back on the podcast and on that. Exactly. We'll follow up. Um, I know you probably have a lot of them, so this would be like asking you to pick your favorite kid, but who's your favorite musician? Wow. Uh, well, my favorite musician now, uh, because my, my favorite musician today is Roddy, uh, Roddy Romero. Why? Because I've, I've become somewhat friends with him. You know, I got to know him through some other people. And, uh, and because my son, Luca, my older son, loves music so much, uh, I've, I've been trying to look back at all the musicians that I had the pleasure to book and work with. And instead of just going out there, uh, to the national and the, the big bands. I'm really trying to show him on Spotify, all the bands that I really enjoy. And Roddy, um, it's somebody that, you know, he's such an amazing soul and uh, he's got some just great music. And uh, lately I've been listening to Roddy. Roddy's one of my tops, especially yeah. locally. Well, I think anybody that has a state law named after them, that's got to be kind of impressive, right? Yeah, I mean, come right. on. Um, so you find yourself on stage at karaoke. What song are you going to sing? Queen. Um, All right. We we are we are uh, in the one percentile Queen fans in the world <laughs> on Spotify. Based on Spotify, my son Luca uh, is a, a believe it or not, three year old. He's a huge Freddie Mercury fan. Uh, he's able to sing uh, all the greatest hits. Uh, uh, it's yeah, Queen would be the song that you know that I would sing just because of how much uh, Luca comes to the store here next door. And uh, we, we're, we're, down to, we're, we're up to eight uh, albums so far. Uh, so we're trying to get the whole collection. So Queen will be the song I'll be singing on karaoke. That is awesome. Okay, wrapping it all up, what's the question you wish I had asked? And what would the answer have been? It's a tough one. A tough one, wow. Something you wanted to talk about that we didn't get to today. Well, I talk a lot, so I feel like I got you cover I, a lot of I stuff. I think you covered it all, but I wanted to give you that yeah, one last um, chance. No, I, I think we cover a lot. I, I think is uh, uh, how the how the country is going to look like after this, and I guess after this is so you know abstract, and uh, that's something I think about a lot. You know, the 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 results of what we've been experiencing 2020 and what does, what kind of, what is that going to play in our minds, in our souls and how we react. And, you know, and I, I just have this kind of optimism about uh, the fact that things are going to 
uh, get better than they are? And you know, that, that would be a question. You know, there, there's something about that tells me that we're going to come up, uh, we're going to come out much stronger. Uh, we're going to reinvent ourselves in so many ways, not just business, but how we deal with our families, how we deal with our friends and in general. So uh, what, how does the world look post pandemic? Uh, if there is such a thing, you know, this may linger for a long time, how, how the world may look financially, uh, structurally, um, what type of leadership we're going to have, not just here, but around the world. So that's something that I, I won't say I lose sleep with it, but I definitely think a lot about it. Sure, sure. And I think on that note, um, I appreciate you taking the time Thank you, and Jackie. being with us today. Gus, as always, you are an inspiration, and I'm Thank glad you, to have you as a neighbor, both residentially and sure. commercially. Um, and to everyone who watched today, thank you for taking the time to listen to me and Gus talk about world events and our little corner of it. Uh, thank you all, and I hope everyone is staying safe and healthy. And please come back next week. Uh, we've got some great guests lined up, and I think you're really going to enjoy it. Thank you all very much.